0: From APM American Public Media, this is Wits, a special bonus podcast extra super-duper edition. I'm John Moe. You might have seen Maz Jobrani on TV on the show Better Off Ted or as part of the Axis of Evil comedy group on Comedy Central. You might have heard him on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, or you might not have. How can I know what you know or don't know? That's impossible. That's too much to ask of me. Anyway, brilliant comedian, fascinating guy, and I got a chance to talk to him. I grew
1: up in a land that was exotic. <laughs> um, no, I uh, I was born in Iran, and I grew up in Marin County, Northern California.
0: When uh, when did your family come over?
1: We came uh, late 78, right, as the revolution was. I was
0: going to st- say, that's a really exciting time in Iranian history. Oh,
1: yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's funny because there's protests in the streets of Iran, and I was a six-year-old kid, and I just remember... Uh, there'd be curfews and I remember uh, we'd have to have the lights out and I and we'd be looking out and there'd wow. be cops driving around and sometimes you'd hear the protest and I was a little kid I didn't really know much um, about what was going on and And I remember one time I think there was like either we heard some gunfire or something but we had to go down into a basement Mm -hmm. And uh, I didn't know. I thought it was exciting. I was like, I felt like Batman, you know? Um, (laughs) There's no uh, Batmobile down there. No Batmobile, man. Um, But it was pretty, it was interesting because I've actually gone back and looked at uh, newspapers from around that time. And it seems like nobody anticipated. That the revolution was going to actually be successful, I think a lot of people thought that the Shah was going to stop it, yeah uh, and just you know to show from my family's perspective, my dad was in uh New York on business uh, in late seventy eight and he sent for my mom to bring me and my sister to new york uh for our uh winter break mm. and uh so we went out and we were supposed to i always said we packed for two weeks and we stayed 35 years <laughs>
0: wow yeah wow.
1: yeah so uh so you, he left, so this was before the Shah, actually. This was before the Shah had left. No, so, like, yeah. like when you look at the newspaper uh, articles from that time, you see it's, like, early 78, they say a couple of protests, you know, mid-78. Right. Protests are picking up. Yeah. Late 78. Uh, there's some more protests, but we don't know what's going to happen. It's kind of <laughs> like what happened with the Arab Spring where people thought, I'm sure a lot of people thought that Hosni Mubarak was going to be able to uh, uh, you know, stay in power. So.
0: So I, I wonder, you know, like so much of of what people of of our generation in the U.S. know of Iran stems from that and stems from the hostage situation. And obviously um, that that must have had a huge impact growing up like, oh. Here's the Iranian kid. Like,
1: absolutely. <laughs> Let's you know, beat was, the crap out of him for what he did with our hostages. Yeah. It was, what's interesting is, um, so I come to America. I go to New York. My father was a success, successful businessman. So, my first experience in New York or in America was uh, we had a suite at the at the uh, Plaza Hotel. Nice. Uh, right across the street from F A O Schwartz. Uh-huh. And you know, I'm like America's I'm like, awesome. Yeah, I'm like this revolution's <laughs> working out for me, and it was great. I, I honestly, I didn't know, I didn't, I didn't know what's going on. I was a six year old kid, and and uh, and it was fine. And then we moved to Marin County, and still kind of laying low. And and um, there was probably just a handful of Iranian families in Marin. And then once the hostages uh, were taken, it was interesting because uh, racism, it, it just it's it boggles my mind in that it's it can be so stupid sometimes and yeah. that people started picking on Iranians that were living in America who had fled that government. Right. The whole reason they were in America. The whole reason was like, it's like, I'm on your side and you're coming after me, you know? And so it was interesting because once that whole, uh, uh, hostage thing happened, people started calling people F and Iranians. Yeah. And I remember I was in the fourth grade and there was this kid in the sixth grade who would call me F and Iranian. And, and I would be like, dude, it's not Iranian, it's Iranian. And secondly, (laughs) you're bigger than me. So it's whatever you want it to be, (laughs) you know? And uh, But what's interesting is I actually, uh, uh, at a certain point, I started talking about this kid in my stand up and I started bringing his name uh-huh. out. I actually have just written a book that's going to come out in February. Uh-huh. It's called I'm Not a Terrorist, but I've played one on TV. <laughs> and uh, I actually say his name in the book. Oh, wow. So I think we may be uh, meeting soon.
0: You may, yeah. yeah. You, may, you may have to come to terms with some things. Yeah,
1: hug it out. Yeah. I
0: read where um, where Eddie Murphy was a huge influence for you comedically growing
1: up. Yeah, because, you know, I'm a, I'm a kid and uh, suddenly this guy comes on the scene and he's just amazing and he's hilarious. And I was a big fan of comedy. I mean, that's why I think I ended up in comedy was because I loved comedy. I would watch... All the evening of the improvs, I would watch all the Saturday Night Lives, mm-hmm. you know, staying up late and watching that stuff. And then Eddie Murphy comes on and I go, that's what I want to be. And I got in my head at some point, I said, so Eddie Murphy was on Saturday Night Live at 19. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? I want to get there before him. I'm going to be even younger. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah. So um, I had my plans and then uh, my immigrant parents heard it and they were like, uh, no. They were like, uh, you're going to be a lawyer. <laughs> uh, so, or a doctor, uh, not comedian. And so it became this kind of um, long detour I took to get to where what I wanted to do. Yeah. Because my parents really had convinced me that I should be a lawyer. And I, and actually, I have my, my sister uh, who was... Uh, we went to Cal together, and she had some project where she had to interview a relative. She has a tape of me where she's interviewing me. She's saying, what do you want to be? And I say, well, you know, I was thinking of being an actor and a comedian... But, you know, my parents really pointed out to me that that's probably not the right way to go. And I think they're right. And I'm going to be a lawyer. I mean, I'm saying this. It's like I've been brainwashed. Did you really believe that, though? I honestly had given up because the problem was coming from an immigrant background like that and having them come to America... I really didn't know what it meant to... How do you pursue being an actor or a comedian? I have no idea. Now, if somebody asks me, I tell them, I go, listen, you need to go to the local comedy club, find the open mic night, and just get up on stage and write as much as you can. Get into acting classes, get into plays. I mean, those are easy solutions in, in terms of the steps that need to be taken. But my parents had no idea, and they weren't going to encourage me to do it. And they kind of poo pooed the whole idea. They just kind of laughed at it, like you know, don't be ridiculous. You know, this is this is a gamble. You're not going to do this. You know, you know, we need to. You have to. You need to have a job that uh, is um, uh, the community will be proud of. Mm. You know, that's another thing they used to sell us was this idea of a community, like. The, I don't know if other immigrant communities have this, but I'm sure they do. Like the Iranian community, a lot of times it was like, "Don't embarrass us." You know, right. we have a name in the community. Right, you know? right. We're you know they're probably still trying to be established as an accepted as an accepted group. yeah group, but also like you know it's this idea of. You have to have a job that's reputable and looked upon in a positive way, as opposed to if you're going to go be an actor or comedian, you may as well be a drug dealer. Right. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's like, you know, you're going to ruin our name, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even though, I, I mean, it's funny. You got the, the parallel of, you know, do this thing for your for your family, for your community. But, I mean, I grew up on the West Coast, too. Everybody on the West Coast is there getting away from someone else.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. that's the whole point of the of having a West Coast. Yeah, well, that's well, part of it is like so. We grew up in an area where there weren't that many Iranians. There was like the you know in Marin. Uh, then we moved down to Los Angeles, where mm. that's the biggest population of Iranians outside of Iran. And I always had this little—I I was always a little uncomfortable around Iranians because I really felt like I had Well, they to, are terrorists. They're basically. all terrorists. I yeah. mean, how who, you know, they might hijack you. <laughs> yeah. oh, come over for a dinner party. Yeah, sure. It's going to turn into a hostage situation. <laughs> we'll meet at the embassy. Uh, no, I was always uncomfortable because of this whole thing that was— uh, I think put on put on me with from my parents of like you have to have a certain way of talking you have to have a, be very polite and be very respectful and and again be you know be looked upon in a good way by the community and and actually stand up was a great experience because when you do stand up comedy you know my act is pretty clean but sometimes when I'm working material out uh, at in Los Angeles at one of the clubs I, I'm cussing maybe I'm cussing a little bit you know mm-hmm. having some fun I'm loose. And I remember one night, um, my friend who, uh, this, this other friend of mine who uh, has had a similar experience to me, he's Iranian-American as well, his mother came to the show with her friend. And I was doing my act and I started cussing a little bit. And then I remembered she was in the audience. I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. (laughs) I feel so bad. Just cussed in front of my friend's mom. I'm so sorry. But it was the most freeing thing in the world because I realized these people know these words. You know, this whole thing of this community is such a sham. It's just, it's a way to keep, uh, you know, to get your kids to do what you want them to do. And so it was this, it was a, a breakthrough for me. It really, I mean, I always say stand up is like therapy yeah. and it was a breakthrough. So now when I do my shows, if I say any material, that's a little risque and my audiences are mixed. So, you know, I'll say something that's a little risque and, and my audience laughs, but I always step back and I make a point to go, I know right now there's some older Persians here who are going, Oh my God, he said that <laughs> word, you know, that is uh that's going to ruin the community. You know, I kind of get in their head to go, I know what you're thinking. To me, and you know what? I don't care,
0: right? You right. Know? Do you find that those moments when uh, you're you're being most true to yourself, when you when you kind of find that moment of not caring what other people think,
1: but it's it's really coming from the heart? Do those translate
0: to the best laughs? Is that are those the best jokes?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think stand up for me, the best stand ups are the ones who are talking about themselves or experiences without filter as much as possible. So you see a guy like Richard Pryor, mm. who you know he was uh trying to smoke crack cocaine and set himself on fire and then came on stage mm. and talked about yeah. it and made it funny made it hilarious made it hilarious and so what's great about that is first of all i think then you have an audience watching going oh wow i thought i i thought i i'd messed up <laughs> yeah. you know and then secondly they're laughing at his experience they're laughing at what he's going through and i think the more you can get to that truth the better it is. It really is like therapy, man. It really yeah. is. Was
0: that was that uh, Richard Pryor live at the Sunset Strip?
1: I think that's what that was. That when was you're a... on fire
0: and running down the street, people will get out of your way.
1: Absolutely. And you know what? <laughs> there was a great documentary that came out, I think it's on Showtime still, about his uh, his life. And they talk about how he goes the first night to film that special and for whatever reason, he's just not feeling it. And it shows him kind of um just his energy on stage is off he's struggling he's missing punchline and he calls the show he goes i'm sorry you guys i can't do it wow and it was uh and there was all these like celebrities in the audience and everyone thought it was a big comeback and he and he somehow he gets them all to come back the next night and he kills it. Wow! And it's such a great lesson to, to just as a comedian go, hey man, even Richard Pryor's having those things. You know?
0: <laughs> Some nights it's just it even flops for Richard Pryor. Yeah. Um, so you're on this uh, you're on this track. You're on this respectable community oriented track, <laughs> white collar track. You get all the way to grad school in political science.
1: Yeah. At Berkeley is this yeah. right? Yeah. No. It, uh, so undergrad at Berkeley. Undergrad and then, at Berkeley. And then the grad school was UCLA. Okay. So here's what happened was um, my mother went lawyer, lawyer, lawyer. My father had moved back to Iran at the time. He still wanted a lawyer. They thought I'm going to be a lawyer. And then at some point uh, when I was at Cal, I went to Italy to study abroad. This professor, I fell in love with what he was doing. I go, this is what I want to do. I'll be a professor. I go, that's kind of a good compromise. You yeah. know, it's still, the community's still going to be- Respectable. Respectable. And I get to stand in front of an audience and talk to them. And and also I get to uh, uh, educate young minds. What a great world to be in. So, I, you know what? I'll get my PhD. And I come tell my mother and she's freaking out. She's like, no, you should not be a professor. There's no jobs for professors. I'm like, how do you know the job market for professors? You know, <laughs> you're crazy. So when I go to UCLA grad school, it had been a while since I'd done play. And I'd been doing plays since I was 12. I mm. love being on stage. But I kind of gave it up in undergrad. And so here I am at grad school. And I go, let me go see if there's a play I can audition for at UCLA. So I auditioned for the, like, the big play at UCLA. I get in. So I'd be going to my grad school uh, classes, my poli classes in the morning. Um, and then I'd be going to my rehearsals at night. And loving the rehearsals. And then whenever I'm in my uh, morning classes, every time, inevitably, the discussion would come to, what purpose do we serve as political scientists? Mm. And the teacher would say, it's publish or perish. you got to come up with an idea and then go around the world and just defend it. And if you're lucky... Maybe some world leader will grab onto your idea and you know quote you or something, <laughs> make it their own. Yeah, and I'm going. So we kind of live in a theoretical world. We don't really. It's not a. There's not real a, a lot of practical uh, uh, application of what we do. And so it became. I became more and more discouraged with the poli-sci stuff, and then I just said, you know what? As I was doing this play, I was alive. I was on, I was alive on stage, and I said, you know what? Um... I had a, I had a paper due the next day, one, one time, like a five page paper. And I was sitting, uh, at the computer at midnight, getting ready to write it. And I just closed the computer and it was the best feeling in the world. because ah. I was like, I'm done. Right. And it was such a great feeling. Now the, uh, uh, the, the, the funny thing is I, um, I'd done that play and there was a girl who was doing her MFA play, uh, in the spring. So she said, if you hang around till the spring, um, I want to put you in my play. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I kind of just hung on and would go to these classes from time to time just so I could stay in school and I basically took out $8,000 in loans to be in this girl's play to be in this girl's play (laughs) and the thing is here's how here's here's how it justified in my head they give you a student ID card they got you $2 off movies in Westwood. (laughs) So I was like, you know, if I see four thousand movies, yeah, it pays for itself. You're making money at that point. Making money on four thousand and one, I'm 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 in the black, baby.
0: Over the top. (laughs) I've got this career figured out. Yeah, Um, you did the the Axis of Evil comedy tour, and you know, I think that comedy needs a lot more evil than it. Absolutely, I think we can all
1: get behind that yes
0: uh where what are some of the places you went to uh when you were doing that?
1: Well, we started that you know Mitzi Shore, who's Polly Shore's mother owner of the comedy store. Comedy she put store, us together, yeah. yeah, she put us together in uh two thousand and she called it the Arabian Nights ah. and she she actually was a little uh um uh um uh, clairvoyant in that she she you know she's Jewish and she was watching the news and there was uh, the latest uprising between the Palestinians and the Israelis and she goes I think there's going to be a need for a positive voice of Middle Easterners mm-hmm. and so um she puts the show together with Middle Eastern comedians and we start touring as the the Arabian Nights and then eventually we go you know we got to change this name and. 2005 or so we start doing it as an access to evil comedy tour and we we come out on comedy central and we tour over, all over the u.s and if you would have asked me at that time if you would have said hey where do you think you'll be performing a year from now outside the u.s i would have said england canada australia all the english-speaking countries yeah. well around six seven months after it came out on comedy central we get a call from some guys in jordan And they say, yes, we would like for you to come do the show here in Jordan. And I was like, oh, bro, I'd love to. But, you know, the show's in English. And he's like, yeah, I'm speaking English to you right now, you (laughs) idiot. And I was like, oh, my God, you guys speak English. And it was crazy. We went to the Middle East and we did a five-country tour um, in Lebanon, Jordan, Kuwait, Egypt, and the UAE. And it was amazing because um, they had had aired the special uh, on a cable network there. And once we landed, we were doing press conferences. We were like rock stars. Because no one, first of all, no American comedian had come to the region to do shows for the people of the region. Usually American comedians would go to do shows for the American troops. Right. So we're the first group that went and did that. And secondly, we were of Middle Eastern descent, and it was during the Bush administration. So it was like this audience was just waiting for us. And it was the craziest thing. Like I would walk down the street and get recognized and I and it blew my mind. I I mean, it it was such a great treat. And then ever since then, um there's been uh, a comedy boom in the region. Every country now has um a comedy scene going and it's it's a pretty, pretty cool thing to see. Um you've done a lot of uh, a lot of acting. You
0: were on uh one of my favorite shows. I, I always get fond of shows that I know in my heart are doomed. Yeah. Because they always end up. You were on Better Off Ted.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, which yeah. was
0: such a great show.
1: Such a great did show. Did you? I
0: mean, and it's it's sort of had a little bit of a resurgence, I think, with the the streaming media. I, I hear people talk about it all the time now. I get
1: people come up to me all the time. They're like, "Why did that get canceled?" I'm like, "Cause you weren't <laughs> you watching, weren't watching it. it." I know. I was watching it on Netflix, <laughs> uh, so yeah, you know, yeah, I'm yeah. part of the problem. Well, you know, um, the uh, the show creator Victor Fresco is this uh, sweet and hilarious guy, and the most low key guy. He's not at all. Um, he's he's the opposite of a Jim Carrey, whose energy's so high. Right. Victor Fresco is just—if you saw him, you wouldn't think he's a funny guy, and uh, and yet he writes the funniest stuff, and he has like the funniest one-liners, and he's just a sweetheart. And he had put me in a show called um, uh, Life on a Stick on Fox in two thousand and four, oh. which was another short-lived series. Uh-huh. And was then, it about
0: like a corn dog place? It was basically yeah. It was. I a, think I remember yeah, that show.
1: Yeah, it was this kid who I think uh, he graduates high school and then he gets a job at like a hot dog stick, you know, hot dog on a stick place. And I'm the manager, like the angry Middle Eastern guy who yells at them. <laughs> so, but it was fun. It was it was fun. But but then he comes back with Better Off Ted and he puts me on there. It was a great show, and I'm bummed out that you know it's no longer.
0: You mentioned playing the the Middle Eastern manager. I I expect there are certain Middle Eastern roles that uh, are just you know oh it's uh i'll pull that out of the catalog so you, yeah. middle eastern
1: manager uh nefarious terrorist i imagine is in yeah that. you know nefarious terrorist i stopped that early i i did a i did a chuck norris movie of the week and that's actually the, the reason the title of the book is i'm not a terrorist but i've played one on tv is because i did the chuck norris movie mm-hmm. and uh i remember going down to do this thing and i was it was early in my career and it was at a time where um i thought i should take everything right you know and um and I remember I thought to myself, wow, you know, as a terrorist, do I want to do this? Do I not? And I had a day job at the time. And I'm like, I just want to get out of this day job. And I go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take this, I'm going to take this gig, and I'm going to show through my acting why this terrorist is doing what he's doing i'm going to humanize this terrorist in this chuck norris movie in this chuck norris movie yes i'm going to be a thespian and um and you know it's funny you write like a backstory for your character sure, sure. and so i i kind of wrote a backstory and i said the backstory is that he saw his parents die in afghanistan um at the hands of the americans and he wants to avenge that death well uh if you look at it chrono- chronologically um uh it would have happened when the Russians were in Afghanistan. Oh, ah, right. But, you know, I'm not going to split hairs. You know, he, you know so, uh, so I did this. So I'm like, I'm going to go. Down. So I went down to Dallas where they were filming this. And I show up at the wardrobe fitting and the wardrobe and the wardrobe lady is like, well, here's your shirt. Here's your pants. Here's your turban. And I was like, um, wow. I go, you know what? Actually, I'm playing an Afghan in America. Um, um, is it Afghan or Afghani? I always get confused. I think it's Afghan. I think,
0: yeah, I yeah, a guy
1: um, from Afghanistan. A guy from Afghanistan in America uh, who wants to blow up a building. And I go, first of all, um, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> people from Afghanistan in America don't wear turbans. You know, I go, if you're Muslim, you might have a little bit of a stubble. Maybe you button up the top button on your shirt, but you're not yeah. going to wear a turban. And I go, secondly, if you're going to be blowing up a building, you're definitely not going to be wearing a turban. <laughs> and so we got into this discussion and she goes, I go, listen, tell the producers it shouldn't, no, no turban. So I show up the next day and uh, I go to my uh, little trailer and there's shirt, pants and a scarf. I'm like, ah, I go, you guys switched it up. Give me a scarf. She goes, no, that's just a turban. You got to wrap it around your head. <laughs> I go, oh, come on. And it was it was the worst experience. I mean it was it was funny. It was silly. It was it was just a silly experience. And so but but it became uh fodder for a lot of stand up.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you, you got some good stories out of it. So yeah. do you so have you refused those parts? Have you been offered those parts?
1: Yeah. So what happened was the, the only other time where I, I did another part like that was twenty-four called and they said, We've got the part of a terrorist. I said, No, thank you. And they go, but he changes his mind halfway through the mission. I go, Ah, the ambivalent terrorist. Yeah. Now you're talking. <laughs> Um, so that was the last time I played one of those parts and then after that it's just been anytime those I mean my agents know to not even submit me for Mm -hmm. those Um, and uh, one time my agent actually called me up he's like hey man I'm getting ready to pass for a uh, pass on an audition for you just wanted to make sure you're cool with it I go sure what's the film he goes uh he goes, uh, t- uh, two words uh, or three words. United ninety three. I go, oh, it's about the plane. I go, are there any good guys? He goes, yeah, they're all white. I go, oh, okay, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and so yeah, I haven't uh, I haven't done any more of those terrorist parts. Um, but you know, it's it's interesting because I obviously it's it's easy for me to do the accent and just do it, you know. And and I've been trying to get a show on air for myself that that represents my. Uh, my energy and my essence more than just an accent because mm-hmm. if you see me on stage, I'm a pretty high energy guy mm-hmm. and I talk about frustrations I might have with my kids or with something going on in the news. So I want to have that, um, be play out a little bit more. Like I actually did a short that's, that's online. It's called my two worlds and it's very, very simple. It's just, um, uh, I wake up to get my newspaper and someone has spray painted, go home, Arab" on my fence. Mm-hmm. And then my buddies come to go to lunch and we're sitting at lunch. One of them's black. The other one's an Arab. And I'm upset because I go, I'm not even Arab. And uh, so I'm like, he got the wrong, they got the wrong thing. And then my Arab, Arab friends like, well, what's wrong with being Arab? I'm like, nothing. I'm just saying they got it wrong. And he's like, no, there's something in your tone that makes you think that you're better than Arabs. I'm like, no, I love Arabs. I go, I got Arab friends. You're my Arab friend and uh and then the black guy goes oh man i go what he goes i hate it when people think they can use the n-word just because they got black friends i go i didn't say that he goes you're implying it so then it's this it's this like almost larry david-esque kind of thing Mm -hmm. where i'm just me and things get out of control um so i'm really trying to to have a show like that where i don't have to do an accent and i could just be me and 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 have those situations kind of go get out of hand Maz Jobrani there He's got a book coming out It's called I'm Not
0: a Terrorist But I've Played One on TV Memoirs of a Middle Eastern Funny Man That comes out in February You can pre-order it now More Wits can be had on internet witsradio.org or on iTunes Hans Buto is our coordinating producer Corey Schreppel is our technical director Our executive producer is Peter Clowney Senior producer is Larissa Anderson I'm John Moe, bye now